We are in a series of messages in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, a message that asks a question today, uh, who did this to you? Who did this to you? And as I read the passage, you'll understand where that came from. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This passage today is going to concentrate our attention on the false teachers who were troubling the Galatian Christians. On the one hand, it may seem as if uh, controversy, disagreements, uh, hostile, even violent differences are a way of life in 2021 and maybe for the foreseeable future. We've certainly seen a lot of hostility, a lot of division, a lot of disagreement in our culture. From where I stand, it doesn't seem to be something that's going to go away. Uh, I can't see any end to it. In fact, I've said before that our nation is involved in the kind of conflict that is only going to be settled when one side imposes its will on the other. Uh, That's the way these things tend to go. And you can look at countless examples through history and see that that happens. Somebody is going to carry the day. Somebody wins. Somebody loses. So on one hand, we might think, well, controversy and conflict and disagreements are just a part of life and it's going to go and nothing we can do about that. On the other hand, uh, we talk about differences of a spiritual nature and somehow or another differences over spiritual matters or biblical issues are often ridiculed as needless arguments, splitting hairs, meaningless kind of things that people get involved in, personality driven. We have before us though a time when the Apostle Paul confronts a nameless they. You ever heard about they before? Nod your head. They say they, a nameless they. They're not identified. Paul may have known who they were. He certainly had no trouble calling someone out publicly and even writing their name down. There was a man named Hymenaeus who was called out twice, both in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, for the false doctrine that he was preaching. So when Paul did not specifically name the person or persons involved in Galatia, it wasn't because he was afraid to. He's done that before. Uh, he He may have known some of them. He might not have known all of them. But still, he's asking them this question, who has hindered you? Who has done this to you? Who's put you in this kind of position? And as he does so, he's going to show us what we today would call a a peer review. You know, peer review is a process regarded as essential in every single professional field, all of them. The peer review process in ministry is given very simply and succinctly in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32. The spirits of the prophets, Paul said, are subject unto the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace is in all churches of the saints. Now in the New Testament era, when Paul was writing this, the prophets were the spokesmen of God. They're the ones who received a message from God. Remember, the Bible had not been written yet. So they received that message from God and they communicated it to the people. They were essential. They 
they had an essential role that had to be done. Uh, the apostles, of course, were overseeing all of that. But with the completion of the New Testament, uh, the role of the prophets was merged into the role of the pastor teachers. That's who they were. So we could accurately say that the spirit of the pastors, the teachers then, are subject uh, to the pastors and teachers. And so it has been ever since. Uh, in our case, it is part of our responsibility as God called pastors to consider the teaching of others, most essentially those who are connected to our church in some way. Uh, other pastors, staff, uh, spiritual leaders, Sunday school teachers, all of them. You see, as a, we don't have a denomination here, uh, our role as, uh, as Baptists is, is very clearly identified. We have a church, and, and this is what we are primarily concerned about. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we don't look beyond that into the religious world at large. After all, it has never been so easy for you to listen to so many different people. Christian radio, the internet, uh, Christian books. Uh, I, I have no way of knowing who you watch on TV, who you might listen to on the radio, uh, who you might read after. I have no way to know unless you tell me. And, uh, and so it's never been easy, easier for you to listen to a wide range of people and have them teaching you things and, and telling you things. And no way for me to know uh, what you're picking up on in your everyday life other than to say there is a, a, an abundance of things that are out there. And there's a wide variety of teaching. You may or may not know this. Uh, if you know it already, then consider this a review. If it's something you've never heard before, then you need to hear it. Uh, the people called Baptist, that name, Baptist, uh, began around the, in the 16th century in England. The first people called Baptist were in England, the 1600s. But by far and away, they were not the first people who believed some of the hallmark things that you and I believe. If you took a history class in high school or in college, uh, they probably taught you about the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, and other things, and that before that, uh, the world was just primarily dominated uh, by the Catholics and their teaching. That was probably what you were taught. But I can assure you that that is not the case. There were many other groups down through the history of, of our world, and they held basically to two major uh, rules, two major things. And for them, this was something that they stood for, they lived by, and they died for. They organized their churches around them. They were called by different things, but there were two hallmark principles. And these have stood down through all the many years, and they're this. They're called blood before water. And Christ before the church. Blood before water. That's the principle of believer's baptism. That you must be a believer in Jesus Christ before you're baptized by immersion. Blood before water. You go under the blood before you go under the water. You must be saved before you're baptized. You're not baptized in order to be saved. 
And the other principle, Christ before the church, is one of a regenerate church membership. That is, you must be saved and, of course, baptized in order to be in the church. You don't get in the church in order to save you. You don't depend on the church and your relationship to the church to make you right with God. Throughout all these centuries, listen, this is not just something Baptists made up. Uh, This is what the Word of God teaches. It's what the Bible teaches us. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus, shall be saved. Now these are the principles that our forefathers down throughout the century. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The gospel shall be preached uh, throughout the whole world, he said, and then shall the end come. And either that promise was kept or it failed. If it failed, we're all in a mess. But if it was kept, and it was kept, because God has kept every one of his promises, uh, then we know that down throughout the centuries, the truth of the gospel has been preached. People have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, been baptized then by immersion, and they have united then in assemblies Uh, They might not have looked much like ours. (laughs) You say, what else did those people do? Well, they tried to stay alive. They tried to stay alive because they were hunted and killed and persecuted. One particular group is the Anabaptists of Europe. They were called Anabaptists because they, uh, Anna means again, Baptists. They were asking people to be baptized again is what they were accused of. They denied it. Uh, they said that infant baptism is not baptism. They denied it. And so they, did, they said, when you are, we're asking people to be baptized, we're not asking them to be baptized again. We're asking them to be baptized the first time. Because what they had was not really baptism at all. The crime for being an Anabaptist was drowning. They said, let the punishment fit the crime. So I'm trying to, I brought that to you just a a little bit this morning. I could go on for hours, but just a little bit. uh, To let you know that the the conflict that Paul is talking about here with the churches of Galatia, I mean, this is first century stuff. Within 30 years at the most after Jesus had died and been buried and rose again and this thing had already erupted. There were already false teachers who were coming into the church, churches teaching terrible things, awful things that were leading people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And it's never stopped. It's gone on ever since. Do you know by now that the enemy is ruthless? He is. He never stops. He's attacked every generation because, you see, every generation has to fight their own battle for the truth. It comes and it goes. It comes again. And so the fight continues. And when we talk about this kind of conflict and we place it in our realm, you know, for some reason, people get really hesitant when it comes down to matters of faith and practice. I understand that. But within the church, there is an obligation for us to proclaim the truth 
to preach the gospel, to stand for it, and if necessary, to confront those who are teaching error. Remember, Paul said in Hebrews chapter 13, or whoever actually wrote the book of Hebrews 13 and 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. This is a pastoral office in consideration here. They must give an account. I must give account to God for you and for your souls to watch out for you. Paul talked about this particularly in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight when he said, Beside those things that are without them, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? You see, Paul identified himself particularly with the weak and those who were easily offended. That is, they were not spiritually mature. They didn't know. He knew that these people had always, they're always the, the first ones that the false teachers will go after. If you haven't figured out right now that we are in a battle for survival over our young, then it's time that you did. It's a real battle, a real conflict. And Paul said, remember, they watch for your souls. I'm not the only one. Your parents, kids, do too. They watch for your souls. This is a real battle. And Paul said, I see the weak. I, I, I see the offended. I, I see those who are, are easily susceptible to these false teachers. And I burn for them. He would not allow them to be taken advantage of, exploited, confused. He's constantly on guard. We have to be. There have been many times over the course of my ministry that I've looked at people and I've asked this same question. I wonder, who did this to you? Who taught you this? Who have you been listening to? Who, who has brought this to you? You know, from time to time I see some celebrity on television with plastic surgery that's gone awry and I want to ask the same question. Who did that to you? My goodness. Why did you let them... Man, I want to... Huh. Spiritual matters are of far greater significance than medical conditions. Paul stood against these false teachers in our text, and he gives us then a pattern to follow as spiritual leaders in identifying and exposing others who are leading God's people astray. You know, Jesus did the same thing. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. Once a person had passed the qualifications necessary in order to be called a scribe, and they were like the lawyers of their day. They were the experts in the law. And they were given, uh, once they had done that and were ready to begin their duties, they were given literally a golden key. And they would wear that around their neck. That was a sign of a scribe. And Jesus was building on that when he said that you shut the kingdom of heaven up. You were using this key, he said, that was supposed to unlock the scriptures. And instead, you were using it to lock the gate so that neither you yourself can go in are those that hear you. Who did this to you? Look what they have done to you. So this morning we'll look in our text and see the things that are described then as the results of what happened. What 
happened? Who did this to you? Look what they have done. And the first thing these false teachers were doing in Galatia was they were stopping their spiritual progress. Verse 7, you ran well, who hindered you? Where once these people were running in their spiritual development as they grew in their understanding of the truth of God and their obedience to it, now they have been arrested uh, by these false teachers and his or her ministries to them. One of the characteristics of false doctrine is that people get absolutely obsessed with it to the point that it's all they want to talk about and all they want to hear about. Their, their belief, their feelings, their prayers, their thinking, their ministry becomes all wrapped up then in these people and whoever it is that's teaching them. Their spiritual progress then in the truth of God that has so many other things to offer is stopped dead in its tracks. This is it. Um... There are too many people, too many teachers out there today, and many of them that you maybe listen to. And by the way, it's not just the preachers, but it's the songs that you hear. Because I hear a lot of the songs that are very popular worship songs on the radio today. I'm going to tell you something. They're absolutely heretical, some of them are. They're proposing ideas and thoughts that are not of God at all. That's why we worship God in spirit and in truth. And in truth. That's not just true of modern worship music. Some of the old hymns were just as messed up as they could be too. We try to watch out for them. But all of them bringing this possibility then that we can tie into these things, hang on to these things, get caught up in them, maybe even without even realizing it. It becomes then something that stops our spiritual growth because we become obsessed with this. This is what had happened. You were running well. They were making good progress, but all of a sudden it was stopped. And the Galatian believers were stopped dead in their tracks in their growth. Second thing he tells them is they're being led in a direction that's not of God. This persuasion, he says, does not come from him who calls you. Uh, this isn't from God. The word persuasion is an intriguing word. It describes the feeling we have that something is true or right. And it's a good thing when we're persuaded by the Holy Spirit and we're persuaded by the truth of God. Paul said, Romans 8, 38, For I am persuaded, <laughs> you know this passage, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Persuasion. When that persuasion comes to us from the truth of Scripture, it is rooted then in the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing. But when we're getting a, a persuasive feeling that something is right, feeling that this is of God maybe, this is something the Spirit is, is leading me into, but it contradicts the Word of God, then it is totally wrong even if it feels right. We might think, well, Paul's just being judgmental. No, he's not being judgmental at all. I wish there was a way that I could get this down for all of us. Listen, the truth of God is not judgmental. It is the truth of God. When we speak the truth of God, we're not judging somebody. We're just speaking the truth 
of God. The Bible calls us to speak the truth in love. And that is our obligation. Uh, not in a, a condemning, not in an anger way, but speak the truth in love. But as he then is putting himself in a position where he has to confront these false teachers in Galatians, there's just no doubt. Oh, Paul's just being judgmental. It's just a big personality conflict. Well, Paul's jealous. Uh, well, he wants to be in control. He, he's just a dictator. Uh, you know, when no other defense is possible, people will often attack the motives of those who are trying to correct them. You'll have that happen to you. You'll go to somebody in all sincerity and try to share with them the truth of God's Word. You'll speak it with all you can, with the love of Jesus Christ, and yet somebody will say, oh, you're just being judgmental. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. No. I'm just trying to communicate with you what the, the truth of God is. I'm just showing you what the Scripture says. But it's so often it's responded to then by someone accusing uh, those who confront them. I've even been told I was doing the devil's work in the midst of confronting error. Ah, well, you know, the devil's always opposing us. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was a devil. I was just trying to correct something. Don't be surprised. I was going to save this to the end, but this would be just as good a place to put it as any other place. I want to tell you some of the toughest battles that I've had to fight in my ministry uh, in the 40 years plus of it. The deepest wounds that I've got came from having to confront false doctrine or error in the church. You see, we always hear, well, it's just the color of the carpet. Oh, people, you know how Baptists are. They fight over the color of the carpet. No, I've never in my life been in a fight over the color of the carpet. I've seen people disagree, but that, that's never been a fight. Not in all my years of pastoring God's people. Not once. But I've seen a bunch of them come because staff members got off track. Deacons got off track. Sunday school teachers got off track. And it was something then that had to be dealt with. It's a serious matter. And one we take very seriously. And I understand how it can easily go awry. Because sometimes pastors get confused over what is the difference between their opinion and what God actually says. Folks, that's why that I try all the time by the leadership of the Holy Spirit to put my head, my nose in this book and be very, very clear about it. And if it comes down to something that has to be confronted, you can rest assured I'll be doing it by the Word of God. It's not going to be because somebody disagreed with me. People disagree with me all the time. <laughs> Most of the time I just smile and go on. Uh, churches don't always do what I want them to do. That doesn't mean you're doing the devil's work or rejecting God. No, you can reject me without rejecting God. But when I'm telling you the truth of God's Word, and I can show you that it's the truth of God's Word, and you're rejecting that, then Paul, then what God said long ago through the prophet Ezekiel, he would say to you, he said, Ezekiel, he said, they're not going to listen to you. 
You go to them and say, thus saith the Lord, but they won't listen. And he said, they won't listen to you, God said, because they won't listen to me. That's a different matter. Standard then is the Word of God. And when the Word of God is being violated, no matter how right it looks or how good it feels, we must stand on that truth. So the false teachers then had hindered them. They'd stopped them dead in their tracks by giving them something that took them away from their growth. They just became obsessed with this one thing and this one idea and the people who were teaching it with them. and, And it stopped them dead in their tracks as far as their growth was concerned. What they were going after then was not coming to them from God. Though it looked good, felt good, sounded good, it wasn't good because it was not from God. Their spiritual cancer. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know what leaven is. It's yeast. A little package quickly spreads throughout the entire bowl of dough. And when it's yeast, that makes a wonderful, wonderful thing. Nancy made some yeast rolls yesterday. And as usual, I ate too many. (laughs) But they are so good. When yeast is spreading through dough, that's a good thing. A little leaven will leaven the whole bowl of dough. But when it's cancer, it's not a good thing. In 2 Timothy, where Paul was talking to Hymenaeus, he said their word will, will spread like gangrene. We know about gangrene. No doctor is ever going to tell you, well, it's just a little tumor. Don't worry about it. We'll leave it alone. No doctor is ever going to tell you, well, you know, it's just there. It's not even above your ankle yet. Do you know? That, uh, we'll just leave that gangrene alone and just, it'll be all right. No, it won't. With cancer and with gangrene, it has to be dealt with. Why? Because it spreads rapidly. When you have people who then think they're right, they're passionate about what they've got, they're they're all obsessed with it, they're doing their best to spread it around to everybody else, and it spreads very quickly. It has to be confronted. has to be dealt with. So this thing will stop you in, its, in your tracks spiritually. It'll arrest your spiritual growth. It's not from God. It's like a spiritual cancer that spreads through you and, and then spreads to others. Then lastly, he says to them, uh, the, this is headed for judgment. Verse 10, I have confidence in you and the Lord that you'll have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? We can understand why that they were accusing Paul of that. After all, Paul saw to it that, that Timothy would be circumcised. And he did so because his, he was a Jew and, and he knew that he would be hindered in his ministry if he didn't. And so they were quick to point out, well, you know, Paul circumcised Timothy, so we're still we're on the same ground. But he said, no, no. He says, if I'm preaching circumcision, then why do I suffer persecution? <laughs> if we're on the same page, then why are they treating me the way that I am? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul had a measure of confidence because he knew that there were a lot of strong, mature believers in the churches of Galatia. They would follow the teaching of the gospel. They would stand for it and reject false doctrine, not because they were special, but because they were in Christ. 
that the people who had rejected God's truth were headed into judgment. And they were going to bear that judgment. No matter who they were or what they might appear to have been done. It gets even stronger in verse 12, which is a play on words referencing their teaching on circumcision, which is pretty graphic. Like the scribes of old then, he who used the key of interpretation to lock the gates of the kingdom against themselves and keep others out who wanted to go in. The false teachers were bringing themselves and everyone who followed them into judgment. How serious is it? How serious is it? Yeah, when they preferred the gospel of Jesus Christ, number one, if they believe that themselves, then they themselves are headed into the eternal judgment of God. And if they're taking others who follow them, they're going to take them to the same place. False gospels abound in our culture. They abound in our world. They're everywhere. All kinds of things are being taught. I, I, I don't have enough time. You don't have enough time or energy to sit through it and even consider the plethora of things that are being taught and called the gospel in America today. If you don't like one thing, go find you something else. I promise you there is somebody out there who's preaching it. Somehow you'll like and if your likes and dislikes are the final authority, then that'll be good. But if they're not, and they're not, amen? Now, likes and dislikes are not the final authority. If there is a God in heaven, and there is, and if we are accountable to him, and we are, then the things that are being followed that take us away from him and his truth are not good. They're eternally dangerous. How does this play out for us? We see what it was doing in Galatia. Well, part of the responsibility of being a pastor is to guard against those who add in all the things that are being added in to the gospel and distort its truth. As a pastor, my attention is always going to be on our church. Those who partner with us, either in mission work or those who uh, fill uh, ministry roles here, and uh, whether as a, uh, a staff or in volunteer capacity, we're going to be constantly watching over, and we are. Uh, we talk regularly. We're around all the time to make sure that we're kept grounded. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. If things surface then that I believe to be unscriptural, and thank God I, I've been pastor here for five years now, almost six, uh, here in another month. Uh, and... Uh, uh, we're just thankful being in the sixth year. We'll be thankful uh, for what we see here, for the maturity here, for the great Sunday school teachers that we have here, uh, for the spiritual leaders that are in place in this church for your maturity. 
And yet, you understand, I, I don't ever let my guard down, folks. Not ever. Not ever. I can close my eyes and see that old Apostle Paul almost pointing his finger at Timothy from his deathbed, saying, I charge you before God. That's as serious as it gets. But even more, the Holy Spirit who led him to make that statement, charging us with the task, make sure, watch over them, be careful. When things do surface, or if they do, Paul gives us a very clear way of following. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. But there also comes a time when after all else fails, we may have to turn away from some things or from some people. 2 Timothy 3 and 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women. No offense, it's just the Bible. <laughs> captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. You see, there's a time to turn away. There's also a time to say, this stops now. This stops now. When it comes to this, the effect on the church is real. And that's why I pledge to you this morning before God and all these witnesses at home and all of you that if it ever comes down to this, it's going to be something that is clearly identified in the Word of God. It is going to be a biblical issue, not something that I can just trump up against somebody. Because I guarantee you, if I have to confront somebody and say, this proceeds no further when they leave, you know what they're going to say. The preacher ran me off. That's what they're going to say. And if they have to say that, then I'd say amen to it. Because listen, if they are preaching or teaching false doctrine in our church, then I'm responsible before God to say, this proceeds no further. It stops now. But it doesn't make the effect any easier. We must give an account unto God for the souls, especially of the weak, especially of the young, especially of those who are new in the faith, who can be so easily led astray. As the divide between the Christian world and the culture at large in America and around the world, as, as the divide grows larger, the difference between us and the culture at large might make us think that we can somehow drop our guard and as long as somebody kind of says they're Christian, then we might want to partner up with them. And it's time for us to realize we have to be careful 
We must be careful. We must look carefully at the Word of God. See what it teaches us. Know where we stand and why. We won't be able to join up with everybody. We won't. More importantly, everybody won't join up with us. Because those two old principles that people have been dying for for a long time are as unpopular today in the religious world at large as they've ever been. Blood before water. Christ before the church. Believer's baptism by immersion and a regenerate church membership. You know how divisive those two issues are. And I'm talking about in the Christian realm, still there. They're not going to go away. Well, you might be sitting there, some of our visitors today, you're saying, well, that, I didn't expect this today. <laughs> well, let, let me assure you something. These people didn't expect this either. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't come here thinking, boy, he's going to unload. No, they didn't know. They're like, why are you preaching on something like this? Because I'm preaching through the book of Galatians. That's why. And here we are with a passage where Paul said, who's done this to you? Who's taught you these things? Look what it's done to you. Look how it stopped you dead in your tracks. Look, understand this is not from God. This is leading you in a way that is away from God and is going to incur God's judgment on them and you. But the call of that message, those churches so long ago, stretches across all these centuries and it gets dropped on our door today. And your life and your family and this church. And it's all about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that Jesus Christ, with no help from his mama or anybody else, went on the cross and died alone for your sins and mine. That's the gospel. That he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He came up out of that tomb. He has life within himself and therefore he can give life to whosoever would call upon him. And he has a name and his name is Jesus. And there is salvation in none other name. That's the gospel. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior then, he compels you to follow him in baptism. And by baptism, by immersion, show his death, burial, and resurrection and your identification with Jesus Christ. You're not baptized to make you saved. You're baptized because you are saved. And you're showing that then to the world through that beautiful picture of immersion. If you want to see it, come up here tonight. We'll start our services off with one tonight, at least one, maybe more. That's the gospel. We're still preaching it today, just like they did in the New Testament. And with God's grace and help, I hope that we'll be preaching it till Jesus comes. Amen. And if not, I'll die preaching it. <laughs> and somebody else will stand in this place.
and he'll keep preaching it too. Let's stand together, please.